This is a Federal News Network podcast. If chief information security officers weren't busy enough, two new policies will stack their plates even higher. The White House released a new cybersecurity policy, and the Federal Acquisition Security Council dropped a long-awaited interim rule, both aimed at addressing long-standing government-wide challenges. Federal News Network's Jason Miller read through these policies and joins me now with analysis of what you need to know and what to do over the next year. Jason, two new policies. Let's start with what OMB and Homeland Security released on the cyber vulnerabilities front. This one has been a long time coming, Tom. And what's interesting about this is, and I've got to give OMB and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, a lot of credit because they dropped them both together. OMB released the final vulnerability disclosure VDP policy. And at the same time, CISA released their VDP binding operational directive and implementation guidance. So Federal Chief Information Security Officers got a lot of information all at once last week. And this is great because what this does, it sets a series of deadlines, but also a series of questions to consider as they're setting up these new programs, both the VDP and bug bounty programs. Now, vulnerability disclosure and bug bounty, very similar, but not the same thing. We've heard a lot about bug bounty programs, Tom. I'll go quickly over that one. That's just, hey, white hat hackers, we need your help, and we'll pay you for your time and for your effort when you find bugs. VDP is a little different. That is maybe a platform that they contract with a vendor and say, we want you to consistently look at our network and find the holes and fix them immediately. And that's something actually the Homeland Security Department system is going to offer as a service. And VDP stands for? Vulnerability Disclosure Policy, VDP. And again, both of these are two kind of very similar, but not the same type of program to help agencies really fix cyber problems that either have been there for a long time or new ones that pop up. And OMB and CISA also put out the Policy and Binding Operational Directive. This draft came out late in 2019. Did it change much from the original draft? Yeah, the, the draft is really interesting because they uh, this is something different than the CISA has done previously. They usually put out a binding operational directive and say, go to it, you know, go agencies. This one they actually put out in draft form to get feedback because the industry, because vendors play such an important role in helping agencies or really any organization deal with these vulnerabilities. And what they found in the responses was very interesting. They got something like 200 recommendations, but from 40 different people or organizations, and, and basically said, Several comments focused on the timelines. If you find a vulnerability, how long until you have to get it fixed? And there was concern that this is not just a push a button and it's ready to go. It's not just put a Band-Aid over it. Newer bugs take longer time, potentially. And then there's a downstream effect as well of of how does it affect other systems. So I think that was a, a big area of comments. Another one set of comments focused on mobile applications. Will they be part of the VDP program? And CISA said, yes, we actually will add mobile applications to the areas that you have to look at and fix part of the covered systems. So I think that was really a key piece. And then, Tom, the other thing that I think we should really focus on here is a bunch of deadlines. And that starts in March 2021. That's when agencies have to set up their vulnerability disclosure programs, VDP, to begin looking at a series of systems. They can't look at every system. They have to kind of say which systems they're going to look at, and then they're going to have to add systems roughly every 90 days after that to say we're going to look at more systems to deal with more potential holes in our network. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. And would you say to have a good VDP operation, you would have to have also good CDM, continuous diagnostics, to find the vulnerabilities to put into the VDM system? Absolutely, CDM is part of your VDP effort. A lot of acronyms here. We're going to acronym people to death. But what's interesting here is they're only able to do a vulnerability disclosure policy and program because of CDM, in my opinion. 
you know, that you had to know what's on your network, who's on your network, and all that feeds into the VDP program. So you can then say, okay, what's on my network? Is that patched? Is it not patched? And how quickly can I get it patched? Or, okay, we have this new vulnerability, you know, pick on WannaCry. Do we have any Windows 7? Well, CDM told me I only have one Windows 7, you know, system running on my network. I can patch it or take it offline. Without CDM, it'd be a lot of data calls and a lot of, you know, prayers and hopes that you got them all. Sure, you need a speedometer before you can report what speed you've been going. And Jason, let's shift over to the acquisition supply chain rule. What do agencies and contractors need to know on this latest iteration? This was a long time in coming, and this is something that I spoke with Grant Schneider, the former Federal Chief Information Security Officer, about before he left, because I think a lot of people say, okay, when's it coming, when's it coming, when's it coming? Well, it's out. It came out just as an interim rule with a request for comments, and this specific rule focuses on really three big areas. First, it talks about information sharing. If there is a threat to the supply chain or concerns about the supply chain, how that information will be shared. The Homeland Security Department acts as that main information sharing hub, and they'll spread it out to others, whether in the civilian world, in the intelligence community, DOD, or to industry. Second, what this interim rule focuses on is if the FASC, the Federal Acquisition Security Council, decides there's a big enough threat from a product or a service or a company, they will make a recommendation to a task force made up of Homeland Security, ODNI, and DOD for a removal or exclusion order. They go through how that's going to work, the criteria around it, and the timelines. It's really well put out there. Then finally, Tom, there's a third part of it, which is really just the bigger piece about the FASC and how it's going to work and what role people play. And I think that's really important because it gives both vendors and agencies an understanding of this new organization that's really going to really put a finer magnifying glass on the supply chain issue. Interesting how complicated the whole cybersecurity apparatus is becoming in the federal government. Now, the FASC rule is a result of a rule proposal and then comments. So are you getting reaction now that they have the interim rule? Did it seem to meet what people thought should be the modifications as it came out. Generally speaking, the experts I spoke with were really impressed by it. A couple of people told me this is really written well. It's written not in legalese. It's in plain English. They did a nice job of really establishing some processes in terms of making sure our industry understands what those processes are. I talked to Brendan Grignon, a senior consultant with LMI, and she used to work in the government and some advising around supply chain risk management. And one of the things she told me was this really lays out who's responsible for what, which systems, classified, unclassified, compartmental, top secret type of information. And it also gives the recognition that the intelligence community, there's a bigger effect than just what happens inside the intel community. And you need to do more to mitigate these risks. And this rule really kind of offers this up that decisions made internal by the government could have a big trickle-down effect. So, for instance, Tom, just as an example that, that Brendan gave me was, think of Bank of America. They may not really do a lot with the government, but if they see that the government is banning XYZ technology, they may do the same thing and use the FASC effort as a leading indicator, she said. The other thing that really was put out there, and I thought that was uh, well done, and I talked to uh, Jennifer Biseglia, who's the CEO of Interos. She talked about the ability to share information with the private sector or non-federal entities. She thought that was really important because too many times the government gets criticized as a one-way information sharer, meaning they take in information, but they rarely give it back. 
at the same time, there's some stuff that's missing. There's more details that are needed. What does due diligence mean and how much due diligence will be done? Because so much of this is in the private sector. And then there's also the concerns around tiers. How does it flow down to subcontractor, subcontractor, and subcontractor tiers? Because you may not be aware of risks in your supply chain. So I think there's still some questions that do need to be answered. But generally speaking, the reaction has been really positive And people right. feel like this is a great first step. Okay, lots to chew on here. Federal News Network's Jason Miller, thanks so much. My pleasure, Tom. Check out all of his coverage of these issues at federalnewsnetwork.com. Pop quiz. What can you buy for $3.99? Not a latte. But for less than the cost of a cup of coffee, you can get all your favorite music ad-free. While other streaming services jack up their prices, Live One's membership is only $3.99 per month. And you can lock in that price for a full year. Join now to get the best deal in music with zero ads, unlimited skips, and maximum audio quality. Get the music you love at a price that fits into your budget with Live One Plus. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week. So patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.